It's philosophy talk. Sarek understands my reason. Well, I don't. It's not human. Oh, that's not a dirty word. You're human, too. Let that part of you come through. As Whitman said, each one of us contains multitudes. But some elements of the multitude conflict with each other. When they come into conflict, should we try to pick one or try to harmonize them all? Your father's dying. Mother, how can you have lived on Vulcan so long, married a Vulcan, raised a son on Vulcan, without understanding what it means to be a Vulcan? Well, if this is what it means, I don't want to know. Can we unify a fractured identity? When I was born in 1967 to a black man and a white woman, there was no term biracial. Our guest is Julie Lithcott-Haynes, author of Real American. I grew up in a time where to be me was to be odd, was to be exotic, or to be treated like a zoo animal. What are you? Fractured Identities, coming up on Philosophy Talk. What can you do when your sense of self is fractured? Can you choose which aspect to identify with? Is it even up to you? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Ken Taylor. And I'm Josh Landy. We're here at the studios of KLW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where I teach philosophy and Josh directs the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Today, we're thinking about fractured identities. So, Josh, I, look, I get the idea that people have many parts of their identity. I mean, I'm a philosopher, I'm a black guy, I'm a sports fan, I'm a parrot, I'm a foodie, and I'm all kinds of other things. What's the big deal? I don't see a problem here. All right, well, you know, you're making it sound easy, but you know, what if you're an immigrant, for example, living in a different country? I mean, someone like me, you know, a, a Brit living in the States with an accent that makes no sense to anybody. Brits say I sound like a bloody yank and... Americans say I sound like a stuffy Brit. Well, Josh, I, I, I still, uh, dude, I mean, or should I say old chap or <laughs> dude, whichever, I really don't see the problem. You got the best of both worlds. You got cricket and you got baseball. Come yeah, on. All right, all right, maybe me. But, you know, you're saying that immigrants in, in general are better off. Well, maybe they are. I mean, it's like Ralph Ellison says. All life is divided and only in division is there health. Well, that, that is a lovely line, but, you know, division costs you a sense of belonging. I mean, you know, who are my people? Oh, example? Josh, come on, come on, that's easy. You can hang out with your fellow British Americans. You can have your own rituals, your own British American rituals. You can bring tea and scones to a baseball game. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, okay. All right, maybe I'm not the best example. All right, look, think about, think about someone from, of African descent, for example, living in Martinique. Right. I mean, you know, her ancestors didn't choose to go there. They were taken there and they were taken there as slaves. And, you know, she's been brought up uh, uh, speaking French, learning about French culture. These are the language and culture of her oppressors. No, I, it, that's bad. That's a tough thing. But I'm still I'm still with the philosopher Edouard uh, Glissant, who, by the way, is also from Martinique. I believe in what he believed in, the creolization of the self. Just as a creole language, say a French creole, it can be a beautiful mixture of French and some African language, people can make creoles of themselves. They can synthesize their different identities into a beautiful new mosaic. Look, I, I'm a huge fan of the creolization idea, but you know, I wonder if you're not putting too much emphasis on how the individual sees yourself. I mean, Take Barack Obama, for example. He's a person of mixed race, but he identifies as black. I mean, do you really think that was just a matter of his own preference? Well, gee, you know, I think you've got, I see your point, I think. And you know what? I think it's actually worse than you think, because I've always thought that the world demanded 
of Obama that he be a black man. Black people needed a figure who would inspire them. If, if, if Obama had identified as biracial, they would have experienced that as some kind of betrayal, a deep betrayal. Yeah, and I think the same for white people. You know, white people needed a figure who would allow them to feel like they were participating in a narrative of progress. You know, and, and let's be honest, to allow them to feel good about themselves. Yeah, they had to think, oh, God, yeah, we're not racist. See, we wrote, voted for this black man. Of course, uh-huh. he's a biracial man, but, you know. Yeah, but look, this is kind of tough stuff. It's part of the curse of what Du Bois called double consciousness. Remember that beautiful line from the Souls of Black Folk. One ever feels his two-ness, an American, a Negro, two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled strivings, two warring ideals in one dark body whose dogged strength alone alone keeps it from being torn asunder. That's beautiful stuff. That is beautiful stuff. And, you know, arguably double consciousness is the worst kind of fracturing there is. And I'm not sure it's going to be healed just by a solitary choice on the part of individuals. It's going to take education, cultural reform, economic justice. That's true. And Du Bois would agree with you. I mean, he said, look, we've got a lot of work to do as a society and a culture if we want to help. He was thinking about black people, but all people heal their fractured identities. Well, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Liza Veal, to find some people who are doing exactly that work. She files this report. Luada's mom is American. Her dad's Brazilian. She split her time between the two places. In the U.S., she was one of the only white girls in her school. But I wouldn't let people call me white. I got this, like, back door where I got to be cool and, like, different from the white girls because I'm Brazilian. My name is Julie Aronson. Yuli grew up in the former Soviet Union, in the Republic of Latvia, and he's been called a bunch of different things, depending on the time and place. I was 19 when I came to this country, and this is the first time in my life that I was identified as Russian. Uh, The Russians would never identify me as Russian, they would identify me as a Jew. My name is Ansu. Ansu was born and raised in Germany, and his father's from Sierra Leone. He says here, Usually, like, I'm considered black, that's what I understand, while in Germany I'm mixed-raced or like I'm somewhere in between, but like here once you have like a black father, you're black and like nobody questions that. My name is Janaki. Janaki's from India with a whole matrix of linguistic and cultural points of identification. My mom's side of the family is from Assam in the east, and my dad's from Delhi, so I'm half Punjabi. And being Hindi-speaking, being North Indian more than anything, I think that's the biggest split. Here's philosopher Anthony Appiah, who happens to be half Ghanaian, half British. Social identities like race and gender and religion and um, nationality and sexual orientation and so on um, play an enormous role in shaping the parameters of what it is for your life to go well. Because different social groups have different values. And from the outside, the groups we belong to shape the world's expectations of us. Appiah says there's a modern belief that we should all get to play a role in determining the meaning of our identities, that we should be in control. And he shares that belief. But the other thing I think, which is sort of runs counter to that, is that identities are not private property. They are collective. They belong to all of us. Who you are is a matter of how the label works between you and other people, and so you have to, you have to work with other people to, to shape it up. In some cases, it can feel like the meaning of your identity is determined entirely without your say, like Yuli in the Soviet Union. Being ethnically Jewish, uh, you look different. It's sort of like being black in America. The Jews were hated. 
So um, it was one of the, it was not superior or inferior. It was more like these are bad people. For Janaki in India, she felt freer to pick and choose as she liked. I began identifying with bits of each of my cultural identities from a young age. So, you know, when you think of like a stereotypical Indian wedding, you're probably thinking of a Punjabi wedding. It's like the stereotype is very much loud people who love to like drink and party, you know, like the other side of my family is much simpler, down to earth and slow moving and like soft spoken. And so I think I always connected a little more with my mom's side of the family in that way. But for some people, the negotiation is not just a private family one, but something that comes to bear everywhere you go. Ansu says he's been so socialized by his German culture that it's the side he identifies with most. Even though when I look in the mirror, what I know what people see is a person of color, not necessarily a person that is half white. But I also feel like an imposter a little bit, that the second I would open my mouth and have an accent or not get any of the cultural references, that I feel like, yeah, I, I look the part, but I like that's not really me. When Luada got a little older, she realized being Brazilian didn't get her out of being white. The thing is that I'm white everywhere that I go because my even my Brazilian family is European. <laughs> like, I'm hella white in Brazil, and so what does that make me in the U.S.? That makes me hella white, too. And somehow I'm still Brazilian. There are places where it seems like the only relevant categories are white or person of color. In other places, there's a lot more gradation or specificity, like where Yuli grew up in Latvia. There were 300 nationalities living in the Soviet Union. There was a derogatory term for every one of them. But philosopher Anthony Appiah says, in most times and places, our multifaceted internal identity struggles tend to play out one way. People sort of make a, an estimate of how black you are. It's still the case that if you really have a dark skin, you can expect to be treated worse. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Liza Veal. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.